You're listening to Understanding the Law Radio, your business success and legal information station. Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and welcome back for another episode of Business and Legal Week in Review. We have a lot to get to today. A lot happened in the news. Uh, For those of you who are new to the program, welcome. And I just want to let you know that you're not going to hear necessarily mainstream news on this broadcast. We're talking about legal and business news and related stories that actually have an impact on your life and that you can learn something from and utilize it, whether it's in your personal life, in your business life, or uh, you know, just very interesting things. So that's what this show is about. We're not recapping what you saw on your nightly news. That would be a waste of your time and mine. This is a lot different. Before we get into the stories, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to the channel on iTunes. Uh, or to the podcast, I should say, on iTunes, and uh, make sure you tell other people about it. And if you have a moment, just leave a quick review. It, it does help the show, and I appreciate it very much. All right, let's start in the Windy City. And we're talking about Chicago demanding $130,000 for investigating the claims that were brought by Jesse Smollett. Now, he's the actor for the uh, the show Empire. And if you recall, he claimed that he was abused, uh, attacked, assaulted uh, by two men who were yelling racist and homophobic slurs, and they put a rope around his neck. And, I mean, it was in the news a while ago. Big, big news, right, Jesse Smollett? And then it turns out that the attackers, the alleged attackers, are two guys that he knew, and they claim that he paid them $3,500 to stage the attack. Okay, so we know that this happened, and we know that it has kind of fallen off of mainstream news because they essentially said that they're not going to prosecute him, right? And if you look at some of the mainstream news stories, it's all gone away. It's, you know, uh, Chicago police or prosecutors decide not to prosecute Jesse Smollett. Okay, great. So you think what? You think, well, if they didn't prosecute him, there's not enough evidence to prosecute him, and therefore this probably didn't happen, and then it goes away. That's not the case. And if you've listened to the show for a while now, you know that I've got an issue with mainstream media reporting legal stories that are not 100% accurate. They're not lies. They're not misrepresentations, but they only pick up on certain things. And I think that some of the nuances associated with that legal issue, they're, they're, they're missed. They're, you know, I, maybe they don't understand it. I'm not sure. So yes, prosecutors have decided not to prosecute Jesse Smollett, but that doesn't mean that he isn't guilty. That doesn't mean that he didn't actually stage these attacks. In fact, I think if you read between the lines, it clearly suggests here, and if you believe the story from the two alleged attackers, that he paid them. Now, the city of Chicago is demanding that Jesse Smollett pay $130,000 for the investigation. And what they're saying essentially is, look, it took manpower, it took time, we had to go out and we had to investigate, pull security footage and interview witnesses, and that cost us. And essentially, you, the taxpayers in Chicago, it cost you money to have the PD 
investigate Jesse Smollett's claims. And I would be kind of annoyed if I were you living in Chicago and paying taxes, and you've got a guy who seems to have made false statements, um, and now you're paying for it because you had to foot the bill for the $130,000 that this investigation cost, and now the city is seeking it back. So I think it's a good move on the city's part, but it's not something that you're going to see you know, mainstream because it's going to be swept under the rug. Um, I think that, you know, he should pay the money. I think that it's worth it uh, for him just to save face, to pay the money and then make this thing go away. Um, but I think that uh, the city of Chicago is in its rights to ask for money back. Um, if you look at some of the quotes from uh, the prosecutor's office and whatnot, they're talking about the fact that they take these um, made-up stories or allegedly made-up stories very seriously. It does, I think, have a significant impact on people's um, you know, thought process. And when you realize that, hey, look, this guy just staged this claim and he you know, made the story up and got away with it, well, you know, maybe I'm going to be angry at somebody, and in order to get them back, I'm going to do something similar. Um, I've heard horror stories where, let's say, um, you know, you don't like somebody that you're working with, and the next thing you know, you're saying that they sexually uh, harassed you at work. So it happens, it's, it's retaliatory, and to show people in Chicago and worldwide, hey, look, not worldwide, but in the U.S., um, it doesn't make a difference. You can make a false statement, and because you are a celebrity, we're going to overlook it, or because um, you know it's not worth our time prosecuting, we're going to overlook it. And meanwhile, the taxpayers foot the bill. So uh, I think that uh, you know to make him pay, I think is the right thing. All right. Now, this next story is very upsetting, uh, and it's something that I think that we're all uh, dealing with, whether you have kids or you're a teacher or you know somebody that has kids. The, the, the term bullying, I think, has really morphed into something different than when I was in school. You know, when I was in school, a bully is somebody that would take your lunch money or knock you down on the playground and then move on. And you either dealt with that physical confrontation or you stayed away. But it really wasn't something that was um, so deep, so um, psychologically tormenting because it typically happened and then you moved on or it happened again and you'd tell the principal and it was stopped because it was more of a physical thing. It was more of a an actual hey, you stole this kid's lunch money, don't do it again. But obviously, over the years and with all of the uh, vast, extensive progressions of social media and the ease of apps and all sorts of things like that, which are good, they're, they're good for so many reasons, they also carry with them, I think, a significant amount of responsibility because when you bully someone, now you can do it via the internet, pictures on phones, 
all sorts of things. And it's, it's really, really, um, it's a sad state of affairs when you see how our young kids are dealing with things that I never had to deal with growing up. You know, somebody said something mean to you, they said it, you heard it, and it essentially went into the wind. It wasn't something that other people shared. It didn't go viral. You didn't have people, um, you know, pulling it up on a phone. It just didn't happen. So different world. Now, this isn't necessarily a story about social media and online bullying. It just gave me an opportunity, I think, to um, tie that in, in a little bit. But this is a story about a 10-year-old girl, very, 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 uh, it's very sad, who died after a classroom fight. So this 10-year-old girl died two days after she was injured in a fight with a fellow pupil at her primary school. Uh, the girl was found unresponsive by the staff at Forest Hills Elementary School in South Carolina after she got into an altercation with a an older student. Uh, they called emergency services. She was taken to the hospital and then ultimately passed away. The other student was suspended, and that seems to be where it is right now. Obviously, there's a police investigation, uh, so not a lot can be said about that. And I'm sure that there will be a wrongful death suit, whether that's brought against just the school or the school and the individual, which is what I would suspect. Um, but this is, this is bullying. Um, the mother was obviously devastated to learn about this and uh, to have her child die. Uh, but this girl was bullied for an extensive period of, of time. I am sure that there was likely online bullying as well as in-person bullying. And here's a situation where this girl gets into 10 years old, gets into a physical altercation, um, likely the result of probably... Uh, continued social media bullying. And of course, I'm just speculating on this because while the investigation is, is ongoing, there's not a lot of information out there. Uh, but I, I would I would think that in this day and age, you're going to see uh, that it wasn't just name calling and that sort of thing, that it was a combination of that and then stuff on social media. And we'll, we'll see what comes in the next few weeks as the investigation continues. But it's it's absolutely horrific. 10-year-old kid that that dies because of a physical fight as a result of, of bullying. Now, we don't know. Maybe she was standing up for herself. Maybe she was pushed to a breaking point. But uh, terrible tragedy. And it seems like we need some educational systems in place for our kids to teach them about social media. And I'm not talking about a parent doing it because, look, I've got three kids and half the time I talk to my kids, they, they don't listen to a word I say. If a teacher says it, if somebody else says it, of course they're going to believe it because it's not coming from their parents. So I think that as a society, we need to really focus on educating our kids on social media. I think it should be part of the curriculum uh, if there are any school districts out there where this is part of the curriculum, I'd love to know about it. So please contact me and let me know because that's, I think, progressive, but it's not like it's you know, something in the future. We're not talking about Doctor Who and the TARDIS. We're talking about something that should be done. It, it Everybody should learn 
about social media and the impact that it can have on people. Um, I was teaching a class recently in a grammar school, and the focus was on social media, and it was on the impact that your words and your thoughts can have and how one picture that depicts a classmate in a negative light could be shared to thousands and tens of thousands of people and what kind of psychological impact can that have on that student? We talked about that and it was uh, surprising to have the kids ask questions that you as an adult would think that they knew the answers to, right? These are kids that at four years old know how to operate an iPhone, but when you say to them, hey, did you know that you can't you know, delete a post? And they're like, oh yes, you can, you can delete a post. Yes, but you can't necessarily delete it permanently. People can take screenshots, people can save it, people have access to it. So while you think that post is deleted, thousands or millions of people even could have that image and you know what you put out there is now permanent. Not like the days I was talking about earlier with bullying where, hey, your mom wears combat boots, they say it, you get mad, but then you know that floats away into the wind somewhere. Now the words, the... Um, images, they stay, they're permanent, and it's very, very disturbing. So I think that we need to educate our kids on that uh, as part of the curriculum. And again, if your school district or your school has a program like this, please let me know. I'd love to talk about it, Uh, maybe even get your school on the show and interview them about that. I think it's very important. Okay, next, talking about social media, we're going to move into a, a, um, a First Amendment story. A federal judge has ruled that a cheerleader cannot be kicked off of the cheerleading squad over a Snapchat F-word post. So uh, a federal judge in Pennsylvania has ruled on behalf of a high school cheerleader who was kicked off the junior varsity squad for using the F-word multiple times in a Snapchat post after a tryout disappointment. So the judge in this case said that the school district in Pennsylvania violated the students' First Amendment rights. So the teen posted a, she was off school grounds, posted something online. Uh, It was a a picture of her and her friends holding up the middle finger with the text, F school, F softball, F cheerleading, F everything. Clearly she was very upset. Um, She was wearing street clothes. She was in front of a local store and... um, not on school grounds. The teen posted the image on Snapchat and was um, played. You know, well, actually, she did it after she was was uh, put on to the junior varsity squad at the end of her freshman year. She wanted a varsity spot, and I think that's where this all stemmed from. Um, in in addition, she was annoyed because another freshman, an incoming freshman, was put directly onto the varsity squad. So that's sort of the mindset behind this. She was mad. She was very upset. She didn't want to be on junior varsity. She didn't think it was fair that a freshman got on varsity. And so that's so she was um, reacting, and she was expressing her, her frustration over social media, which, like we were just talking about, is what the younger generation does. So she was kicked off of the team, And then the parents filed lawsuits, and ultimately uh, the court said this this free speech issue where a school can come in and say, we're going to penalize you because of something that you said 
does not hold water when they're not on school grounds. Um, you know, the school argued, right, that the teen and her mother had voluntarily waived the, the teen's First Amendment rights by agreeing to the cheerleading rules before the tryouts. Now, I don't know what those rules were, but I'm sure if they're like other sports rules, it's things like um, a parent code of conduct or maybe an athlete's code of conduct and inappropriate, offensive, blah, 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 words won't be tolerated, etc. And um, this waiver that, that they're trying to rely on as part of their insistence and defense here, right, because now the school district is defending this First Amendment claim, um, they argue that this waiver is sufficient. The court says, really, it isn't. So then the district said, okay, fine. Um, but, you know, there's no constitutional right for a student to participate in an extracurricular activity such as cheerleading. So there's no constitutional violation simply because the kid was removed from the cheerleading squad. Now, the plaintiff argued that you can't put essentially the constitutional cart before the horse and that the infringement occurred on the freedom of speech on the post not the right to participate in the sport. That was a penalty. She was being penalized because of what she said. Uh, the American Civil Liberties Union of Pennsylvania represented the student. Of course, they would get involved in something like this. And essentially, the court said, no, you know, this isn't um, actionable by the school. You've got a kid outside of school grounds, not wearing school clothes, not you know, like she wasn't dressed in her cheerleading uniform, uh, not a representation of the school, and not that that would necessarily become a deciding factor, but when you look at the totality of the circumstances and you see what she was doing, that clearly uh, was an infringement of her First Amendment rights. And so, uh, you know, the school lost on that, and, and whether or not she'll go back to the cheerleading squad is another story. Next, I want to, uh, well, I wanted to talk to you about this a lawyer who you might know uh, because he represented actress, adult film actress, I should say, Stormy Daniels. He was arrested Monday and charged with extorting Nike and stealing a client's settlement. Um, you know, I, I, I have talked to you in the past about the fact that not every lawyer is a good lawyer and it's unfortunate you know it, it happens in every industry where you've got somebody acting inappropriately illegally unethically and it trickles down and everybody thinks that you know it's industry-wide it's not uh, but when you hear a story like this I mean you've got to shake your head and say are you kidding me what what was this guy thinking so this lawyer Michael uh, Avenatti was charged with extortion and conspiracy in New York for allegedly trying to extort millions of dollars from Nike in exchange for his silence on what he claimed to be damaging information. He was charged with wire and bank fraud for allegedly misappropriating $1.6 million from a client and for allegedly submitting fake tax returns to a Mississippi bank in order to obtain a $4.1 million loan. Um, he was arrested in Manhattan on Monday and um, is, you know, facing serious, serious consequences. I and mean, this is a criminal complaint. Um, 
essentially what he did with Nike is he said, you know, give me money or I am going to release all kinds of inf- information about you uh, that he had. Now, whether or not that information was valid, who knows? But, um, you know, that in and of itself, that threat, you can't, you can't, you know, threaten to sue somebody and then extort them and, and shake them down. And that's essentially what um, you know, he was planning on doing. In fact, he went so far as to schedule a press release or schedule a press conference um, that he was essentially saying to Nike, hey, look, you know, call my bluff. Here's what I'm doing. Uh, in addition to that, he has all these issues concerning money that um, had been taken or allegedly taken, misappropriating it from a client, and then the tax return issues. Uh, he had this, this Avenatti had represented Stormy Daniels in a suit against Donald Trump. Um, bottom line here is, don't hang out with Donald Trump because everybody that hangs out with Donald Trump ends up having a very serious problem and spends much of their time in jail. So word to the wise, stay away from Donald Trump. All right, moving on. Um, how many of you out there use a product called Roundup to get rid of those weeds that just don't want to seem to go away? I've used it. I've used it a lot. Um, we have a paver driveway, and no matter what you do, you cannot stop these weeds from growing up in between the pavers. And it's, I don't know, I guess it's like OCD. It's like, um, you remember that game Animal Crossing, the Nintendo game Animal Crossing, where you'd walk around and you'd pluck out the weeds and it was like kind of therapeutic when you do it on screen. But when you walk out in your backyard and, you know, on, on Monday you pick a weed and on Tuesday there's 10 more, it's like, are you kidding me? I just can't win here. So different story. So, you know, I've used Roundup. Well, a man was awarded $80 million in a lawsuit claiming that Roundup caused cancer. A jury awarded more than $80 million in damages to a California man who blamed Roundup weed killer for his cancer. Um, Now, this case is very important because it could help determine the fate of hundreds of similar lawsuits. Roundup is being sued across the country um, by numerous people as a result of the allegations concerning the chemical that's in Roundup causing cancer. So um, the plaintiff in this case, Edwin Hardiman, proved, or you know, that's how the jury saw it, proved that Roundup's design was defective. It lacked sufficient cancer warnings and its manufacturer uh, was negligent in, you know, uh, providing this product, and, and, and this was ruled on uh, or decided by a six-person jury in California. They awarded him $5 million in compensation and then an additional $75 million in punitives. Now, remember, punitive damages are punishment. This guy, uh, 70 years old, has cancer, and he says it was caused by um, glyphos- gly- glyphosate, Glyphosate, I am not a chemistry major. Glyphosate, the active ingredient uh, in the weed killer. The company said it's going to appeal. Uh, They also say, quote, we are very disappointed with the jury's decision, but this verdict does not change the weight 
of over four decades of extensive science and the conclusions of regulators worldwide that support support the safety of our glyphosate-based herbicides and uh, that they are not carcinogenic, end quote. And that came from Bayer, uh, which acquired Monsanto, who was the original manufacturer of Roundup. Um, so, you know, this is very important because you are are now setting the stage for all of these other hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits, people that have have cancer, which they believe can be tied to the Roundup product. Um, you know, it's quite possible now that with this ruling, you're going to see other courts saying, well, you know, if you proved it in that case, and this is a very similar situation, uh, I'm going to at least keep in the back of my mind, or jury for that matter, keeping in the back of their mind the fact that another case that was very similar um, produced such a large verdict for the plaintiff, and that's going to factor into the decisions. I mean, think about it. If you're sitting at home reading this story or listening to this, this news on the podcast, and you get called in for jury duty on a similar case, aren't you going to think to yourself, well, the judge and the jury in this other case awarded $80 million. Um, therefore, we should probably do something similar. Wouldn't you think about things that way? I, I probably would. So the point here is that this is going to have a significant impact throughout the uh the country with these other litigations, and we'll see what happens. All right, next, we are going to talk about Nestle. Now, Nestle is facing a lawsuit saying that Poland Spring, which it, it owns, it acquired, is not water from a spring. So, uh, you know, Poland Springs coming to you straight from Maine might not be exactly what they say. So, uh, a judge refused to dismiss a lawsuit claiming that Nestle defrauded customers by filling bottles of its Poland Spring water with ordinary groundwater. So this is, um, I think, something that we've seen before, and I think that we've seen it with other water companies. And I know that this idea has been uh, floating around now in in the course of the early stages of this litigation, uh, there's been allegations that not one drop of water, quote, emanates from a water source that qualifies as a genuine legal natural spring, close quote. Uh, the actual Poland Spring in Maine, which the defendant's label said is a source of Poland Spring water, quote, commercially ran dry nearly 50 years ago, according to the complaint. So, this is interesting because here you've got um, a, a you know potentially deceptive advertising, deceptive statements made about the product. Now, of course, Nestle is defending this vehemently, and they deny the allegations. Uh, but it's it's very interesting because how can you say that it is coming from a spring in Maine when that spring is non-existent? Uh, so we'll see where that one goes, but it's interesting. We're going to wrap up today with something that plays off of a story that we talked about last week. So you remember 
Last week, we talked about the lawsuit concerning Junior Mints and the fact that the box was allegedly only 44% filled and it might violate um, certain federal food laws. And, and I thought it was ridiculous, right? Because I pick up a box of Junior Mints and I'm able to say to myself, well, this box isn't full. Who cares if they put it in a big box? Am I really deceived? Am I really going to not buy Junior Mints anymore because my box isn't full? I mean, it's completely different um, from something like, let's say you were to buy a box of cereal and there's you know, next to no cereal in it and you've got this big box and it's heavy and you that, that might be different. But come on. I mean, you know what you're getting when you pick up a box of Junior Mints. And like we talked about last week, once you set something like this in motion, all of the other people come out of the woodwork and before you know it, now we've got claims all over the place and that's exactly what happened. There's a new class action suit that alleges that the Bethlehem-based Just Born, now Just Born is uh, the company that owns Peeps and it's you know Easter time, springtime, there's Peeps all over the place, Marshmallow Peeps. Well, they're being sued with allegations that it skimps on its Mike and Ike's and its hot tamales. So here you've got a California woman claiming that Mike and Ike boxes are designed to trick buyers into thinking that they're more that there's more fruity candy inside than there actually is. A federal judge cleared the way uh, for this individual to lead a class action lawsuit on behalf of other consumers against Just Born because of the Mike and Ike treats. Now here. I think, again, this is just as ridiculous as the last one. This woman bought a $4 box of candy from a glass display case at a movie theater and only realized, it's a very sad story, only realized when she got to her seat that the box was half full. Come on. I mean, come on. Uh, This is why people hate lawyers, because this is purely a money grab by the lawyers to make a significant amount because lawyers on class actions make more money than anybody involved in the class action. So of course they want to do it. Uh, The complaint alleges that 46% of the box was empty and that the packaging for Mike and Ike is, uh, and their hot tamales, which is similarly packed, violates California's consumer protection, false advertising, and unfair competition laws. She cited research showing that 70 to 80% of consumers don't look at labels before purchasing a food and candy. Okay, but unless you have never purchased a box of Mike and Ike's before and you have not felt them, how, how can you tell me that you are really deceived because the box is slightly larger? You know, these are the same types of, of claims that would lead someone to file a suit because the box is too small and now your Mike and Ikes are getting crushed in the box. So that would be no good either. I bought a box of Mike and Ikes and they're all crushed because they're too small. Well, now I bought a box, a box of Mike and Ikes and you know what? I was I was totally tricked. I thought that I was going to have enough Mike and Ikes for a two and a half hour movie only to find out that the box wasn't full I personally think that these are ridiculous lawsuits. Who knows if they're going to settle, um, but I think it's ridiculous. I just really, really do. Um, and and the, the frustrating thing about this is that 
As a result of this, we're seeing a growing number of lawsuits over packaging of food, and especially with candy makers. Um, you know, back in, in 2016, a Missouri man sued Hershey, uh, basically alleging that it underfilled packages of Whoppers, Reese's Pieces, and uh, other candies. Now, that one was dismissed because they couldn't show that he was deceived. Um, and that was a different story. But now we've got two, and then there's a Nutella uh, suit that's that's in the works as well. I think it's actually been filed uh, that uh, the company that makes Nutella is misleading buyers into thinking that there's much more Nutella spread in the container than there is. I, I don't, I mean, I think it's absolutely absurd. This is one of those things that's just like a trigger for me. It's ridiculous. So what do you want? You want packaging that just fits the product? You don't want any extra because if you see that you're going to think that it's super full i i don't know what do you guys think i think it's ridiculous i think that this is um, a waste of resources and yeah look at the end of the day these companies that are putting things in boxes they're paying for the boxes if they want to spend money on larger boxes um, that's on them and if you pick up a box of candy and realize that there's not a lot in it. I mean, look, it, it, I understand. I'm not a math genius. I'm not going to look at the weight of the product and say to myself, oh, there's about 32 Mike and Ikes in here. But just common sense dictates. And I think that if you know you're that uh, curious about what you're going to pay for and get, you can go to any store and you can physically handle the package of Mike and Ike's and say to yourself, wow, this doesn't feel as heavy as I would think it would. I, just ridiculous. But that's the legal system we have. That's what, that you know, is what goes on. And that's how some of these class action lawyers make more money than, you know, you, you could possibly believe. It's, it's absurd. So, all right, well, that's going to do it for today. Hopefully um, this was interesting and that uh, you guys are enjoying the resurgence of the week in reviews. We're doing it on Fridays as opposed to Mondays. I think it makes far more sense to do it that way. Uh, just let me know. You know, reach out, send me an email, make a phone call. Let me know how you are liking the, uh, the the changes that we've made to the podcast. If you like the stories, if you like the way that it's being structured during the week, I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me know also if your school district has some sort of social media training. And I'd love to know what you think about these, in my opinion, ridiculous lawsuits over boxes of candy not being filled to the brim. So, all right, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back next week with another episode of um, Business and Legal Week in Review. Of course, between now and then, there will be podcasts uh, doing the Business and Legal Q&A, so make sure you tune into them. Please make sure you subscribe to the show over on iTunes and rate it. It helps us promote the show and it uh, makes it more visible to other people who might benefit from the show or just enjoy listening to it as well. Thanks so much for, for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you and I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. 
you'd like more information about the show, or if you'd like to take advantage of our business and legal self-help resources, including our extensive video library, then visit us online at utlradio.com. You can also find us over on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Now, if you have any questions about any of the topics that you've heard discussed on today's show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for future shows, please feel free to reach out to me directly at pl at pjlesq.com, or you can call us at 201-904-2211. Please also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, share the information that you receive through this podcast with your family, your friends, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station.